welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending November 24th, 2023. This week, the strike is over, but the fallout has just begun. I'm Kim Hollis, who is already twitching and pleading for more Scott Pilgrim content. Yes, I am. Who do I have to punch into coins to get it? (laughs) With me are Tim Bridey, content creator, gamer, and no longer head of programming at Netflix after the ill-fated Squid Game reality series. Oh, don't worry. I have Paramount and Peacock uh, holding on the other line, so (laughs) all will end well. How could the Squid Game reality series even be considered ill-fated? I mean, literally, you could kill people, and that would be the premise. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who finally has a Christmas tree. Yeah, finally, November 25th, only one month of Christmas tree this year. It's not like we won't keep it up into January. (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, whose brother almost died this week. Oh, yeah, no, he's fine now, but there goes his chance of being the bacon-eating champion of the Eastern Seaboard. By the way, David, he's looking forward to playing some relaxing Halo multiplayer this evening if you want to join us. (laughs) I think I will mute my microphone for that. This week, the fallout from the strikes is ramping up as some actors aren't happy with the agreement they got and the Writers Guild is threatening to sue Amazon for not abiding by the terms of their agreement. Voting is still ongoing by SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild, but there is increasing noise about whether or not this was a good deal, specifically in regards to AI and the use of digital or virtual actors. The concern remains that Hollywood studios will be able to create actors out of whole cloth and use them to fill out their casts, or that they'll be able to bully actors into agreeing to be digitized and turning over their digital rights. Yeah, I think all we need to say here is that there is a current headline in one of the trades. This is the exact quote, synthetic performers win big, which is also, I think, the start of pretty much every science fiction film ever made, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, in essence, Hollywood studios can create an actor, especially if it doesn't resemble anybody anywhere, and put them in a movie and use that actor in perpetuity without having to pay any royalties to anyone. And this is, let's not undersell it, a big deal on the surface. We don't want to move away from the fact that this shouldn't be possible. But the other thing is self-policing is probably going to prevent this from being a thing in the short term, at least to anyone who's smart enough to recognize as a producer, people are going to hate this. There was a Disney Plus series that got caught with its hand in the cookie jar where it used fake people in one of the crowd shots. And people have been mocking that thing mercilessly. And there are all sorts of memes about it because the synthetic members in the crowd are so obviously fake. It is creepy and unsettling and is taking people out of the scene, which is exactly the opposite of what is supposed to happen with a crowd shot. You're just supposed to support the action without taking any notice away from the lead performers. So when we see things like that, we can feel good that at least in the short term, this isn't a big deal. But for the next three years, we're all going to hold our breath that there isn't a synthetic performance good enough where somebody in Hollywood goes, oh, see, this is working. Let's do more of this. If that happens, well, it's the doomsday scenario. And meanwhile, Amazon Studios may be reconsidering a lot of what they've been doing with Prime Video. They've canceled a number of series in the last week, and the WGA is upset that two months after the strike ended, Amazon hasn't restarted a number of writers' rooms. Credit here goes to the Ankler newsletter for breaking the scoop, as they reported that among the writers' rooms that have not yet been restarted is the one for Silk Spider Society, the series 
set in Sony's Spider-Man universe. Has this project been canceled? Amazon is not talking, but the WGA is clear. The agreement stated that the writers' rooms should have been reopened upon the strike ending, and this hasn't happened. And there's some really interesting moving parts here, aren't there, Raul? I mean, if you just think about it analytically, when Amazon went to Sony with this deal at the time, Sony was very, very hot with the Spider-Man universe. Since then, it is really cooled off. I mean, way cooled off. And early reports about Craven are, let's be honest, atrocious. I mean, Morbius 2 maybe would be the best way I would describe it. And so they're wondering on the one hand, should we be getting in this? By the way, Marvel isn't having the best run of things itself at the moment. So if the top-notch Disney side of Marvel isn't doing well, should Amazon be comfortable getting in with the lesser characters nobody wants, like, I don't know, Silk? So we have all these conversations. And then on top of that, when Amazon greenlit this still, it was possible to do the so-called mini writer's room, which means you could employ a smaller staff, save money on it, and you could get a project into production much cheaper at the start, and then you could run it thinner is the term I would use. Now they can't do that. It is against the updated rules of the WGA, and Amazon is looking around going, do we need this mess? I don't know what we do, except for the fact that they've contractually obligated to honor the terms, and the WGA is obviously going to gloat a bit about this because it just shows you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, and we are going to slap you around for it. That's what's happening. Yeah, the WGA isn't pointing out which projects have been affected, but the rumor is that Silk is one of them. I would speculate that maybe Amazon believes they have enough material to move ahead without re-upping the writer's room, essentially having leveraged the mini room beforehand. Now, whether that's true or not is another matter, because yes, it could very well be that they simply want to scrap the project. It would have to inevitably be a hugely expensive project. And maybe Amazon just doesn't want to do that anymore. Maybe they don't want to do the big budget superhero type content anymore. This is one of those Spider-Man universe titles that Lord and Miller were hired by Sony to produce. And so far, looking at the track record, yes, Venom and Venom 2 were box office successes, but critically panned and even fans thought it was kind of dumb. Morbius was just a debacle. Craven had to be pulled from its release date after Sony realized what a mess it was and it's now presumably getting reshot. And this week they released the trailer for their next movie, Madam Web, which just, it looked awful, guys. Does anybody think it didn't look awful? The other thing I want to say here, because it just drives me up a tree, they're saving money on the wrong parts of this to begin with. The writers are one of the cheaper parts of the process. And oh, by the way, they matter the most. What is the central criticism we have had of these MCU titles on Disney Plus throughout this? They have not done conventional television. Instead, they've tried to do these mini writers rooms. They've had one person who was like a through line for a part of the process, and then they switched off to someone else. That doesn't work. Just have writers create good content and you can save yourself the headaches. It is much less expensive than spending, oh, I don't know, $35 million on an episode of Secret Invasion and nobody knows what the stupid story is. This is Hollywood being self-destructive and needlessly cheap. Well, on the bright side, Hugh Jackman's grown out his mutton chops again, which means that he'll be back before the cameras for Deadpool 3, so that's some good news. But in the meantime, there's plenty more clouds on the horizon. One important date is April 8th, 2024, as that's when Warner Bros. Discovery will be legally permitted to open merger and acquisition talks, a deadline 
that was imposed after their last merger. Hollywood seems to be holding their breath as everyone looks to be positioning themselves to make a play. Mm, 50 billion in debt. I got to get me some of that. <laughs> no, um, look, we've known for a while this was coming. We've all had this date kind of circled on the calendar. We've discussed this on many occasions. There are all sorts of penalties in place. If Warner Brothers Discovery starts selling things for parts right now, that was the deal they made in order to get the government to sign off the, on this deal in the first place. But we've all known it was just a waiting game until this moment. And in April 2024, that's when we're going to start seeing Warner Brothers Discovery strip for parts, which has been what a lot of this is. And we can talk about mergers and acquisitions. I know that someone I really respect believes that they're going to try and get a distressed asset at that point when there's less regulatory oversight of such a transaction. But Raul, we just can't find the path where that's viable, can we? When a company's burdened with so much debt, anything other than, say, a venture firm buying the company and then lumping that debt onto it, essentially leading it to bankruptcy, I don't understand a way any company other than the deepest pockets in the world, and so we're talking Apple, Google, Microsoft, buying up these assets, nothing else makes sense. And really, I don't think Apple, Google, or Microsoft are going to put themselves in a position where they have to justify acquiring a company like Warner Bros. Discovery. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to find viable paths that make some sense. And we've been saying for a long time now, Peacock has failed. We, we can go ahead and acknowledge that and just say, Peacock is what it is. It's never getting better. Warner Brothers Discovery has lessened the former HBO Max and especially the HBO brand, but their path all along has been to merge Max with something else in a anticipated consolidation in 2024. And so now people are starting to look at like a super app that would contain Peacock content, Warner Brothers Discovery content, and maybe even let's say Stars or the one I'm hearing the most right now actually is Paramount Plus. And so that's kind of the date we're looking at saying could that happen, but I think it's a lot simpler. I just think that at the end of the day what we're going to witness from Warner Brothers Discovery is they're going to sell viable brands. And that list probably begins with DC. That's my perspective. But there's other important dates that we need to be looking out for, and that includes July 31, as that's the date that the contract for IATSE, the union representing film and TV crews in Hollywood, expires. IATSE was a strong supporter of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA during the strikes, and with production shut down, its membership suffered mightily as they too found themselves out of work. Will they go on strike next year? If they don't have a contract, they know the pain it will cause to their memberships and the town, and can they count on the support of the guilds? I absolutely believe they can count on the support of the guilds. There was a unique bond forged during the strikes that I think actually caught Hollywood executives flat-footed. I don't know how to say it other than that, which leads me to my next conclusion, which is that Hollywood's power players need to strike a deal with IOTSE because if they do another strike, I mean, you'd like to think people this smart are capable of learning from their mistakes, right? Right? <laughs> no. And... Just one more for good measure, as SAG-AFTRA's network code, the contract that covers commercials, reality shows, and game shows, expires next June. It's going to be an interesting year. All right, Tim, I know we didn't get ratings this week, thanks to the Thanksgiving holiday, but we do have box office to talk about. Yeah, um, 
So this is like the worst month for Disney in, I don't know, a long time because Wish was their big Thanksgiving week release and it's third on Friday with 8 million, 20.2 million since its debut. Napoleon is just ahead of it and the box office still led by the the Hunger Games spinoff, which had 11.4 million on Friday and is already up to about 81 million. Yeah, I think with the Hunger Games, what we're witnessing is there was still some life in the brand, but probably not as much as everyone hoped. And Mm -hmm. I think that with everything we're discussing here, it's just the reality of what we've been saying, where the box office has collapsed. I mean, we can keep beating the dead horse as much as is needed, but it's the inescapable conclusion when everything universally disappoints. We can split hairs about whether or not, you know, the Hunger Games prequel is a disappointment or not, but it's not great. I think we'd all agree it's not great. There are very few films this year where we would say, oh, wow, that was a really strong performance. That's where we're at. And with Wish, Disney felt like it had returned to its storytelling magic. And that's really the concern I have at this moment is there was confidence expressed in Wish behind the scenes, just as we talked about with Elemental earlier this year. Now, Elemental turned out to be justified. That's a good film. Wish, you kind of look around and you go, all right, well, the reviews are incredibly middling. Disney is missing the fact that we have a more cynical viewing audience right now, and they wanted something special and unique and which is pretty much Disney's greatest hits and that has kind of created a divide here the box office tracking I was witnessing always struck me as high for wish because I I didn't feel it was going to be the box office sensation that some had projected but uh, it's hard to sell this as anything other than a disappointment the question becomes will it do what elemental did where will it build some buzz after the fact but given what we know of post Thanksgiving behavior it sure seems like there's just not demand for this one, doesn't it, Tom? Yeah, I'm really concerned and I don't know what their plans were for getting it onto Disney Plus, but given what the post Thanksgiving box office weeks are never great, they may want to move that up and just get it on to Disney Plus around Christmas or so, because it'll it'll be done by then at this rate. It's, if you, when you don't start out strong on Thanksgiving, you're not going to make it to the end of the year money train. This is better than Strange World did last year, but this is two straight Thanksgiving misses in a row for, for Disney. And that's just shocking. I know things are different in that now. It's yes, it's a different world. Box office is not great. I'm actually surprised how decent the Hunger Games spinoff is doing. I was like, wait, I did not think this would cross 100 million, which it's going to probably within a week or so. But this is bad. See, that shows you how much expectations come into this conversation. I was thinking it would make 150 million. So I'm viewing it as a modest disappointment, whereas you were thinking it wouldn't make 100 million. So you're pleased with it. And that's kind of we all have our own agendas and perspectives on each of these things. But with Wish, I don't think you'll find anyone who believes Wish is making what it should. And it feels like Wish has been caught in the wake of the Marvels. And it feels like the Marvels was caught in the wake of the other Disney accidents this year, which just goes to show you there is a lack of consumer confidence in the Disney brand at this moment, and it is spilling over into every release they do in cinemas. And how much of this comes back to the fact that they collapsed the theatrical window with Disney Plus? I don't know. I think that's an interesting conversation in and of itself. But we've also seen with like Haunted Mansion, the projects just weren't good enough. And Bob Iger's last job at Disney on the way out the door when he retired the first time was as executive chairman who was running 
all of the creative. These are Iger's projects, not Chappick's. And something's got to give here. And I think that what we're looking at is we're probably going to see someone in Disney Pictures get fired over this. And mm -hmm. that's kind of an interesting thing because a couple of the people who would be most likely to get thrown into the bus are the same ones who helped Bob Iger returned to the company. So it would definitely be a thanks for helping me out. I appreciate it. You're fired <laughs> if he does that. Yeah, I almost feel like to satisfy the stockholders or something, you you need a sacrifice here. You Someone has to get thrown to the wolves over what's been happening with this box office. You have It'll probably be Alan Bergman if it happens. He's the mm -hmm. co-chairman of Disney Entertainment. But seriously, when, when Iger was out, he would have power lunches with people who still worked at Disney. And one of them was Bergman, who was a neighbor of his. And the two of them would talk about all the mistakes that Chappick was making. It would be absolutely ruthless if Iger through Bergman under the bus for this. It really would. On the flip side, though, I got to say it is completely justified because what went wrong with Disney box office in 2023, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's frankly stunning. Okay, what was their best release for this year? Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But then you've got the whole Barbenheimer thing, which was Warner Brothers and Universal. Super Mario Brothers was Universal. Third biggest box office film of the year domestically was Across the Spider-Verse. That's Sony, not Disney. So yeah, this is the fact that they're not at the top is just stunning, even though they had some successes, you know, Little Mermaid, almost 300 million domestically. But then, you know, you see Quantumania and that's 214 million. But that almost led people to be like, you know what? I'm not really thrilled with what Disney's putting out. And you're right. It does feel like that just bled into everything else they did this year, because then you have Indiana Jones and you have the Marvels failing, you have Elemental struggling at the box office, you know, recovering and doing great on, on Disney Plus. But yeah, it's almost like a domino effect of just how these, these projects have gone. Two different former contributors on box office profits and dear friends of ours actually messaged me this week, not connected, just both of them individually messaged me going, what is happening with Disney? Because everyone is so confused. Marvel is definitely headed down the wrong path. And now you have to say that Disney animation, we have to look at it and we have to wonder what's going on. And I, I know that we'll talk about Wish more at the end of this podcast, but it's not the Grand Slam I would have liked it to be. And I feel like that has been Disney throughout the year. They're hitting singles and doubles when they need to be hitting Grand Slams. So yes, part of it is that box office isn't what it had been. And we need to accept it might not be until 2025 at the earliest, but the rest of it is this is accountability against Disney. And you can't help but wonder how much of it actually is the political stuff where Disney and Ron DeSantis got into it. And so now 35 percent of the population has a political bias against Disney. So, you know, there's a lot in this cocktail. Mm. We could have entire podcasts just breaking down what is happening with Disney at the moment. And I don't think there's any hard answers to it, but everyone will swear like grim death that the reason why they think it's happening is 100% the only reason. <laughs> yeah, you were very high on Wish. And I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm not the target audience, but nothing jumped out at me that this is anything amazing or special about it. Okay, so for the weekend, for the for the whole holiday, 
holiday, it'll be about 40 million, but that's, we just not guaranteed. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's probably being very generous, but yeah, that, that makes you wonder what's happening. I don't think it makes a hundred million. And so I don't think the Marvels makes a hundred million either, which means. No, and being very generous, the Marvels will be at 80 million at the end of the weekend. And it's not going to get that last 20 because the post Thanksgiving things always fall off very hard. And it's not like either of these films is doing well internationally either. You were absolutely right about Wish when you expressed skepticism and I was totally wrong there. I mean, I was totally wrong. And part of it is I go based on my understanding of this business and Disney tried three different times to get people into theaters to watch the film early to build buzz for it. As a matter of fact, we were filming last week's podcast. Kim and I technically had tickets for a Wish early screening. You do that when you believe in the content. That is what worries me the most, Tim. That really is. They think this stuff is better than it actually is. And that is the division that is problematic. Do you also remember what Wish's cinema score came out as? A minus. Yes, it was an A minus, which is, believe it or not, on the lower end of Disney animated releases. So that is very surprising and also troubling for its future. See, I, I'm happy with the A minus. You know, the Marvel's only got, what, a B or a B plus, one of the two. Um, a minus shows that there is that elemental quality where the people watching the film really like it. And that's generally, you know, the better sign. Yes, Disney animation typically, you know, does better, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of counterbalancing that by the fact that I think the grays might be deflated by the fact that people are mad at Disney right now. So uh, I was braced for much worse and I was relieved to see an A minus. Again, like the Hunger Games discussion, it comes down to our expectations on the topic. In a very weird year box office, yeah, that is truly what's one of the most amazing things is basically the fall of Disney and they need to to right the ship and it's going to take a lot to get confidence back. I know, it, like I said, we keep saying it's a different market, but there's a lot of issues going on here. That's exactly right. And we are in the Black Cauldron era for Disney right now. And the only good news I have about it is when you're forced to look in the mirror, if you're good about this, if you actually can look in the mirror and admit your flaws, that's how you get the Disney renaissance. So three or four years from now, we're probably going to get better content because this happened. But you do wonder if for that to happen, there needs to be a changing of the guard at the top and people who better recognize what modern consumers want. David, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the last earnings call, Bob Iger was talking Frozen 4. And let's remember that Frozen 3 hasn't been released yet. Yeah, I actually saw through that playbook pretty quickly. Frozen 3 and 4 are going to be two parts of the same story. Let me just say again, Disney Princess Cinematic Universe. Exactly. And you get twice as much money when you do two films instead of one. Nobody doing this is stupid, but then you also have had what were on paper surefire hits like Indiana Jones and the Doll of Destiny and especially Haunted Mansion. You figure with Haunted Mansion, the worst case scenario is a little less than The Rocks and Emily Blunt's Jungle Cruise. You know, it probably doesn't have the star power, so you take it down 20%, but that's the worst case scenario. And instead, it was much worse, even though there's a pandemic involved. That's what we're looking at right now. What is causing this gap? And that's I don't have an explanation in any of this because there's actually, a, you know, a video of a podcast I did in May of this year where I was like, wow, Disney's lineup looks great on paper. That guy was an idiot.
in our green lights and cancellations this week. As mentioned earlier, Amazon's Prime Video is dropping the axe on a number of shows. Among them are The Horror of Dolores Roach, Harlan Coben's Shelter, and With Love. We mentioned The Horror of Dolores Roach just a few weeks ago. It's a kind of modern retelling of Sweeney Todd based on a one-woman off-Broadway play and podcast. Harlan Coben's Shelter is a young adult mystery based on the Mickey Bolitar series from the popular author, but With Love ran for two seasons, and I wouldn't be able to tell you a thing about it. <laughs> but even as Amazon cuts, they continue to greenlight new projects, more specifically Bosch projects, as a new spinoff based on The Detective is going into production. This series will focus on supporting character Renee Ballard. This is just going to make the Silk Spider Society people that much angrier. <laughs> if Renee Ballard doesn't have to sling webs and fly, it's going to be cheaper. <laughs> there you go. Meanwhile, over at Disney+, Plus, the Muppets keep running into the same fate as their latest series, Muppets Mayhem, has been canceled after only one season. Kim, we found this story a little mis misleading, didn't we? We did, because it's really, I don't think it was ever really intended to be more than one season for these guys, and then they'll do something different. Right. There's going to be more Muppets. Adam Goldberg has said as much that he has gone right back to work on other Muppet stuff. It's just not going to be a continuation of this. And this is where I, again, say, if you're just looking for happiness, go to YouTube and Google Muppets Karaoke because that episode of the short-lived ABC <laughs> series was so magical. That is fantastic. As always, we finish up the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And we finished off Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. It's perfection. I was surprised and delighted by what they did with this series. And yes, as mentioned earlier in the show, I definitely want more Scott Pilgrim content. We did see Wish, as David mentioned, which is a slight but delightful film. I mean, as he mentioned, I don't think you're going to go in and get any surprises or many surprises, but Star is very adorable, a very huggable and cute character. And I also think Magnifico is a cool villain who I would like to know more about, would like to know more about what happened to him in the past. And we also saw Hannah Waddingham's holiday special, and that just reminded me how much of an amazing talent she is. Wait, she sings? She sure does. <laughs> yeah, that one came up on Apple TV Plus this week, and nobody told us about it. Yep, including Apple. <laughs> Apple took the unique approach of assuming we're all time travelers by advertising it two days after its release, which even for streaming, that was a new one. Okay, Raul, what's been keeping you busy? Let me tell you about Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix. I don't tend to watch much anime, and I wasn't going to watch this, but the tile and preview I saw when I opened the Netflix app caught my attention. I later came to realize that the character designer of the series is an animator I follow on Instagram. This is set during Japan's Edo period. Mizu is a multiracial ronin out for revenge against the four remaining Europeans in Japan, any one of which may be his father. Rest assured, this is is an adult animated series with plenty of cutting people in half and nudity. Mizu cuts a swath through Japan in his quest for revenge, gathering friends and enemies along the way. This series culminates in an epic and highly satisfying climax with a cliffhanger ending for the ages. The voice talent is filled with recognizable actors, which is a bonus. This series was created by screenwriter Michael Green and his wife Amber Nozumi and character designs by Brian Kessinger, who's done character work for a number of Disney 
animated movies. Blue Eye Samurai is gorgeous to behold. I cannot recommend it enough. All right, Tim, how about you? So my parents made the unfortunate mistake of allowing me to pick the movie that we were going to watch when I was over at their house for the night before Thanksgiving. Uh, after searching through what was available on their TV, which only had access to Prime and Netflix, and going through things that they had already seen uh, or weren't interested in, I realized that on Netflix, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is available there. And they were very disappointed because even because they watched the first one and you know did not really enjoy it, even though I raved about it because because, well, they're much older than I am. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this one. I, I kind of wished I had seen it in the theater because that was a much better experience to see into the Spider-Verse. I probably didn't like it as much as the first one, but there were, you know, there were some some really great moments. The style is amazing. A lot of the, the jokes hit. I wish there were a few a few more. The whole scenes with a lot of the whole Spider-Man society and all that were great, which the little boxes popping up of what their name is, where they're from. That was great. It felt like it was going really, really long. And then we hit the cliffhanger ending. So I'm glad that they're going to be more. Hopefully, I know it was delayed by the strikes, but Hopefully it's resumed production and will be on its way soon. And I do have to just add that Peter Park's car made me laugh very much. But yes, do check it out if you haven't seen it yet and you love the first one. Actually, watch both if you haven't. Watch Into the Spider-Verse and then Across the Spider-Verse. Yes. And David, how about you? It's interesting that Tim mentions that because heading into our Wish screening, I would have sworn that May Day is the cutest thing I have seen this year. May Day is Peter Parker's daughter, who is an infant, but already a spider baby and just <laughs> the most kawaii thing. And then we watched Wish and I fell in love with the character of Star so completely. I mean, it bordered on comical. Cam will tell you, we've already gotten multiple star pieces of merchandise and we're going to get a lot more. I am going to buy all the star merchandise because I love that character. The gifs that we're going to get of star, I'm here for them. I want it all. There is no such thing as enough star content for me. As for the movie, they... It's a little too loving of a tribute. And what I mean by that is you will tell by the closing credits that it is Disney's greatest hits. As a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and spoil one very minor thing. She has several friends in the film. And if you pay attention, it's actually the seven dwarfs, just a new generation of them. You know, they're not dwarves. They're just teenagers. But each of them has one of the character traits of the seven dwarfs. There are little touches like that throughout the film, which makes it more for Disney lovers than for, you know, just casual fans of movies and that might be part of the problem here but uh, I do wish Wish hadn't been so slight Kim is absolutely correct though Chris Pine's work is magnifico brilliant I mean absolutely brilliant legitimately one of the best Disney villains of my lifetime and that is not hyperbole probably could have used more magnifico if anything there were some unexpected story decisions made that I quite liked but uh, at the end of the day she's right it was a bit too slight which is the same criticism we had of the Marvels. Disney probably needs to go a bit deeper with this stuff, and I think that they've gone minimalist in the wrong ways. And then as for Hannah Waddingham, many of the cast members of Ted Lasso appeared in that, which made it feel much more like a family thing. But, you know, if you grew up in an era where it wasn't unusual to television to see these giant holiday special type things, this was a throwback to that. And this just felt like something that would have been right at home when we turn on the television in 1985. And it fits. It really fits. And since everybody loves all the characters of Ted Lasso, it's that much 
much better. I was really, really impressed with it. And it's only like 45 minutes. And if you feel like it's slogging, fast forward through a song or two. You might just be there for the Ted Lasso things, but I definitely recommend it. And I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Full Gear last week. <laughs> that was an AEW pay-per-view. And wow, it was great. I am speechless about a lot of it, but obviously the Hallmark match was with Adam Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland. and Amazing match that I never want to see again. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know my thing about blood, blood. which warranted in this feud, but mm-hmm. just gross. Tim, I actually thought of you a couple of times during the match. What did you think of that particular match? Oh, just, yeah, fantastic. Just brutal and lived up to the to the feud. You know, we know both guys are great, and this is really finally a chance for someone like Swerve Strickland to show it. But I've said multiple times about I don't really enjoy blood in wrestling because it can cause problems, and the, there was a spot there that was just one of the more disgusting things that I've seen. But yeah, I mean, excellent match, but just, you know, that part, of course, you know, turned me off. Yeah, Renee Paquette, after that match was over, tweeted, I need a cigarette after that. And that's the first time I've ever truly understood her marriage with John Moxley. Because I'm sure Moxley was just in the back screaming, it should have been me. It it exactly. Been me. Yes. Right. It really was a brilliant pay-per-view from start to finish. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Be sure to watch for us again next week. 